You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a hoop ball presentation. Hoop ballers, welcome back. To today and sports betting. Happy Friday to you. It is that time. It's Friday, May 15th, 2020. And this is today in sports betting, a hoop-ball.com presentation, a part of the hoop ball fantasy basketball family pages. There's also Hoopball Gaming that is the creator of this said podcast. You can find that at Hoopball Gaming on Twitter. I'm D-A-L-E-007, Devin Ellington in real life. And today, I am joined by someone that's put numerous, numerous effective articles out there within the gambling industry. He's a phenomenal writer. On top of Harry Gagnon, who I sat down with earlier in the week, this gentleman is another one of the main proponents as to why I love sports betting as much as I do. His insight has helped me. And if you're familiar with this gentleman, which I'm sure you are, this is going to be really, really fun for you just like it is for me. Adam, how are you doing today, buddy? With I'm Mr. doing Adam, well, man. How are you doing? Adam Burke of Bang the Book. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm gonna work. I'm gonna try my hardest to get through this podcast. I'm smiling a little bit too much, so uh, I'll, I'll cut that out a little bit, and we'll uh, we'll get rolling here and have a fun show. Hey, first of all, uh, many a thanks again. I know offline I've told you, but this is uh, this is huge for me in the podcast, and uh, I know I love it. Ira's a huge fan of you. My co-host uh, Dan, our owner, he's familiar with your work, so this is. Uh, we, we are very thankful for it, and uh, we're happy that you decided to grace the presence of the show with your presence. So with that being said, Adam, let's, uh, let's tell folks where they can find you on Twitter. It's Skating Tripod, correct? Yes, sir. At yeah. Skating Tripods on Twitter. Everybody, everybody asked the story about how that uh-huh. Twitter handle came up, and uh, I haven't played in about six years. I mean, if you could see the full body, you could tell why. <laughs> but uh, I haven't played hockey in a while, and that was our beer league team, the skating tripods, and yeah. uh, we had a shocker for a logo, and 
we were really good at drinking and not so good at hockey, but uh, the name lives on, I guess, through my, uh, through my Twitter persona, we'll call it. <laughs> infamy, infamy. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so I, uh, I don't think I've played a lick of hockey ever. I think I've played in the street a little bit as a kid, but I, I never went out and uh, got on the ice or at a rink or whatever and played uh, actual organized hockey. I guess it's the Oklahoman in me. It's uh, it's a little different down in this uh, part of the country uh, where I grew up. So it's a little more lifeblood in the north for you guys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my dad played in high school, so he just kind of kind of passed on the love of the sport to me. And uh, in fact, I actually didn't start playing competitively till my freshman year of high school. Okay. So I wasn't very good in high school. Is is basically the point I'm making here. But <laughs> you know, I got a good, uh, I got a good ten, twelve years out of playing, and I did some refing for a while too. And oh, cool. some days I miss it. Most days I don't when my back acts up or something else. So yeah, uh, it you know it'd be nice to uh, be nice to be able to play at a high level. I, I can't imagine what it's like to do something like that at just an extremely high, ridiculously elite level. Right, that'd right. be pretty cool. Yeah, just flying down like center ice, able to just control the puck and yourself and just the, some of the stuff they do, the slap shots, the, uh, you know, the three-man weaves. I love hockey. The last couple of years I've dug into it a lot more, um, especially with the birth of this podcast and my uh, outside, you know, my gambling endeavors and sports coverage uh, desires. So hockey is a sport that I'm looking forward to returning and then like carrying on my viewership and fandom of uh, – I wasn't ever like oblivious or uh, negligent of the fact of what the NHL was or what, you know, players or product was in it. But, um, you know, I'd I'd be foolish to say that I put more effort into uh, that than like a a college football or something at the time. But now I'm starting to love it a lot more just like college football or any other sport. But enough about me, Adam. You – you know, we talked a little bit about hockey. We got this northern feel kind of laid down for the listeners – um, so you grew up up north in Ohio. I know you said you're in the Cleveland area now, but uh is that where you are rooted at? Is that is that where it all happened for you? Yeah, born and bred here in Cleveland and uh you know, growing up obviously I mean the Indians that was the, the nineties mm. heyday. So yeah. you know, baseball was at the top of the list for me. It it always has been and, and quite frankly it probably always will be. Um, you know, the Browns were were good in the early late eighties, early nineties, but yeah, I was too young to really remember that. And then, of course, they left for five years. So yeah. it was always about baseball for me. I, I never really got into basketball too much, at least not the Cavaliers until, I mean, everybody got into them when, when they were able to draft LeBron. Right. Uh, but, you know, Buckeyes fan, uh, Indians fan, and then just, you know, a, a general sports fan. And, you know, kind of with uh, the line of work that I'm in, the line of work I've been in since 2013, it's hard to have favorites. You know, you can't really have a lot of favoritism. <laughs> I don't even see favorite players anymore. I, I just mostly see numbers and you know, yeah. situational spots and, and stuff like that. It's, it's a very different kind of fandom, to say the least. But I've managed to hold on to the Indians and, and the Buckeyes, specifically for college football. Right, right. Yeah, I've, um, I've always thought that the Cleveland area, and again, we talked off camera a little bit. I used to travel for work, so it was, you know, I spent some time in Akron. I wish I would have spent some time more so in Cleveland. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those, a lot of people, I think, feel that there's not culture there, but I think Cleveland has a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff to offer as far as modern Americana 
uh, past blue collar, you know, Americana, and then like a good mesh balance between the two. Um, also leaving room for other, uh, you know, cultures and uh, peoples of diversity to, you know, coexist in that area. It's it, I enjoyed the time I spent up there. I was only there for two weeks, but um, I enjoyed it. Now, um, talking a little bit about your background information and kind of where you grew up, you know, with you're the lead writer for Bang the Book now. But where, how did how did the writing start? What was your um? Did did you go to school for journalism in college or, um, you know, paint the picture for me, Adam? Well, it's it's kind of funny that you know I would sort of find my way you know, to sports betting, because there's a very rich sports betting tradition in the state of Ohio, uh, mostly in the eastern part of the state, the Steubenville area. It was mm-hmm. kind of, it's not halfway between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, but it's relatively close, you know, in that sense. So there's always a lot of gambling that went on along the Ohio River over on the eastern border of the state. So I don't know, maybe it's just kind of ingrained in, in all of us Ohioans. Where a lot of us are degenerate gamblers. <laughs> but for me, um, you know, I, I've always been a writer. I, I've always loved writing. I was that weird kid in high school that liked English, liked writing papers, research papers, stuff like that. Always had an affinity for history, too. So when I went to college, I, I went to Akron, and uh, you know, I majored in mass media communication, did a second major in history. So gambling just, and certainly the role that I currently have, it allows me to use both of those majors. I mean, I'm on air. I do the communication side. I do a lot of stuff behind the scenes in terms of, you know, talking with affiliates and advertisers and whatnot. But when it comes to a history major, you're always proving a point. You're always trying to make a statement, provide the supporting evidence, and you really have to develop a strong argument over, you know, 10, 12, 20, 25 pages, whatever the case may be. So, when I got into sports betting and, and my sophomore year roommate actually got me into it, um, you know, it just it became very easy to write about it. That was in the early days of podcasting. I'd been doing some podcast stuff for a local Cleveland sports blog anyway. I was doing some gambling content on, on college football and the NFL for them. And then it just sort of became a thing where, you know, I, I kind of fell into the community. I found a, a betting forum called Beyond the Bets in 2010. Mm. And um, you know, just information sharing. It was a lot different back then. Now you go to message boards and it's just, you know, I played this, I played this, I played this. Then 27 replies of good luck. You know, it was more of a community feel uh, with that group. And in fact, I met people like Matt Lindemann, who's been in the industry for a long time in Las Vegas. Um, You know, my uh, creature who's our uh, Parker Michaels is our NHL Mm -hmm. writer at bangabook.com. I've still kept in touch with a lot of those people. And you know, that community feel kind of allowed me to feel accepted into sports betting as being something of an authoritative voice. And it just kind of grown from there. Well, I like that you said that because that's, uh, you know, kind of how I felt whenever I was um, working on getting myself into handicapping and looking at maybe having a future in this. So uh, yeah, it's funny how you take that principle of how you came into this industry and then uh, how you allow it to be extended to other people that may be able to come into this in their own, you know, after you. So, hey, um, kudos to that. I, and I appreciate that because it's important to make sure um, people know that this is a community, an industry. Sure, it's a little uh, intimidating at time because of, you know, Vegas and all the 
stuff. And, but you know, we're all here to do the same thing and that's make money and uh, also enjoy sports at the same time. So now while we're in the process of thinking back and like we're, you know, stuck right there where you were painting that picture with us, you briefly touched on the fact of kind of how sports betting was always around you. It's just kind of like in the, uh, the tributaries there in Ohio. But um, if you were to think back, would you be able to recollect the first bet you placed? Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, it's funny. Like I said, my sophomore year roommate got me into it. And um, ironically enough, the hockey connection, we were on an intramural floor hockey team together freshman year. Yeah. Uh, they also did intramural poker stuff. I still talk to him. He's actually still a pretty good friend of mine. But, um, you know, he kind of mentioned to me what he was doing, kind of got started in it. Um, he's a much bigger – he was a much bigger degenerate than I am. He, um, he actually decided to apply to Akron because they won a bet for him in the MAC championship game. I believe it was back in, uh, like, 04, 05. Decided to apply to Akron. All the places he got accepted to, he pulled the names out of a hat. And then Akron was the one that was left. He was actually from New England area, uh, which is crazy. But anyway, um, yeah, so he got me into it. And, you know, I started limited bankroll like a lot of people do. And I was doing the, the three-team parlays across college basketball. You know, $5 paying six to one. You know, get my 30 bucks every so often. Uh, you know, went through some of that uh, financial aid money. I ate a lot of ramen in college for a while there. But, yeah. you know, it's uh, – Look, everybody's got that story of starting out, and you know, that's the important thing is, is to kind of you know, learn from your mistakes. And, and I found very early on that you know, parlays weren't for me because the return on investment, while it looks really attractive, it's hard to hit those. You know, yeah. I, I remember days where I'd get excited and tell my then-girlfriend, now-wife, about you know, winning $42 on a parlay. <laughs> and you know, it was the greatest thing that happened to me yeah. that week. And you know, that doesn't account for the – Lots of money I lost on the other parlays. So right, right. Everybody gets that start. Everybody kind of finds their way. And you find what works for you. You find a, a community that can help you look at things in a different way. And that's really when it turned for me, when I started to look at things more analytically and also have a group of people where we could break down games together as opposed to me just, you know, kind of going through and looking at things for myself. Yeah. No, that's – um. You and I share a lot of the same mindsets in that because whenever I decided to start doing this, uh, the way I looked at it is I, I like how you touched on the analytical stuff because I've always thought that part of sports was really neat, just figuring out like how you can dissect that certain element of um, any sport. And so whenever I saw – the allure of getting into gambling and such, I think what was so shiny about it to me was the fact that there was more numbers to break down. Like it was a little bit more analytics and it was another piece of sports uh, that you can use to uh, fuel and feed kind of your interests as far as breaking stuff down. And that's what I like the most about it is because it gives me a, another way like, you know, to see the sport in itself and break it down on different numbers. And um, yeah, so it's, uh, it, it, it's neat. Analytics were neat, but then when you actually put more numbers into it and such, um, it's very enjoyable. So um, those parlays, um, 
I want to go back on that because, you know, we can talk a little bit about betting strategy. Um, I've recently tweaked mine and I, I actually can't remember the last time I played a parlay, but like you starting off, like there's just nothing more than uh, seeing those parlays where you got two of your three picks hitting and you're just waiting on that last one. And um, it's an exciting feeling, but like you said, losing on those uh, other ones, it's hard to make up for it. Um, so bankroll management is huge. And um, we've, we've done a little bit of talk about that with some of the guests, just asking some basic questions, introduction to some stuff. Um, so off the top of your head, Adam, if other than what you just said for your personal bankroll, what, it, what, what do you think like makes a successful better? Is it the determination of doing their research? Is it um, discipline? Uh, what, what, what do you think it would be? Oh, that's, that's a loaded question. I mean, that, that, yeah, I can yeah. give you a six-hour answer on that yeah. one. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things is that you get a lot of people, and, and I don't want to criticize anybody. I mean, I, I learned the hard way starting out. It was always, for me, early in the process, well, I'm a sports fan. You know, I watch sports. I can read game previews. I can even write game previews and game recaps, you know, if I really wanted to. And that's what I thought betting was. I thought it was just, you know, sort of, looking at things kind of in a vacuum, stack comparisons with the two teams. And as you develop as a better, because there's a difference between betting and handicapping. I know you listen to, to my podcast, Bang the Book Radio. We've talked about that before. Handicapping is breaking down the game. Handicapping is looking at the stats, looking at the metrics, looking at the analytics. A lot of people are capable of doing that. I mean, we see that now with, with the way that sports betting is growing in the mainstream media. A lot of people can break down games, break down angles, stuff like that. What you learn as you do this over a long period of time, and quite frankly, what I'm still learning after doing this for you know 12 or 13 years, you know, the first five or six kind of recreationally after that, you know, doing the bang the book work, understanding the betting market is dramatically different. Knowing when to put your bet in, understanding where the lines are going to move. You know, I'm not somebody who models, so I'm not calculating my exact edge. I'm not betting based on Kelly criterion or anything like that. But just having a feel for the market, having an idea of where the money is coming from, which side is the sharp side, which side is the public side, things of that sort, that's what really elevates you as a better and as somebody that actually has the opportunity to make money in this business. Because there is a massive difference between handicapping and betting. I think a lot of people can do the handicapping part of it. It's the betting part that they struggle with, the bankroll management you referenced, um, you know, knowing the value of a number, knowing the value of getting in at plus seven instead of plus six and a half for a football game, stuff like that. That's what you learn and develop, and that's what you continue to learn and develop because the betting market is ever-evolving. You've got different groups with different influence. You've got different sports books with different levels of risk tolerance. So you got to know where you can bet, when you can bet, who's betting what. It's a very, very nuanced and very complex kind of thing. And I think one of the problems a lot of early bettors make, myself included, and even to this day I still do it, I just look with, I just look in a vacuum at the game that I'm handicapping, decide on the side that I like, and even sometimes I'll blind myself to that without looking at what's going on in the market or the price I'm actually getting. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you said that and glad you brought that up because I remember not too long ago, you know, when I was starting off in this, it was 
you know, I started hearing these terms like sharps and public and uh, this side and that side. And whenever I started piecing together what all that really was and how to utilize that and what to look out for, granted, I'm still learning. I'm not, none of us ever have it like locked down or, you know, whatever. But um, I think what I like in that part of betting, the market itself and analyzing that, understanding where it may go as far as the ebb and the flow. Um, I like how it's almost a game in itself in that aspect of when you're placing your bets, because not only are you taking the information that you have for yourself, you know, the research that you've done and maybe a matchup that you like on the card, but you also got to consider, um, well, Hey, I know this is my number. I think this is what the public is doing. So if I just wait like a couple more hours, like I can get that extra hook or whatever that I really, really want to have or vice versa, you know, um, it can go either way. So I'm glad you touched on that. And um, I mean, look, admittedly, I like handicapping the market more than I like handicapping games. Ah, okay. I-, I find the market just extremely fascinating, you yeah. know, because You've got, you know, we talk about baseball. We talk about, we haven't really seen it in the KBO. I think at some point we probably will end up seeing it. But you talk about people that scout and middle and trade and just, you know, lock in profit on both sides of a game. And that stuff fascinates me. You know, understanding, um, you know, we look at the NFL this year specifically with, with the, you know, COVID pandemic. What happens with home field advantage? How much is that actually worth? Right. What is it being, how is it being accounted for in the market? And will people disagree? You know, if home field advantage is cut, let's say theoretically in half, because fans may not be there, is that too much? Is that too little? You know, the, the, the market is, it never settles. And I think that's something that's really interesting to me. You get a closing number, but if you had an infinite period of time before a game, that market would just keep moving back and forth, yeah. back and forth. And I just, I love that side of it. I, the market analysis and being able to have observations and convey those, uh, I'm, I'm very lucky to be able to do what I do because I, I just love the market. It's, it's so intriguing. Well, I think you might be on to something here, and this could be a little bit of a pioneering movement because as of right now, you know, there's always parts of sports betting that are evolving or different parts of it that we're looking at and trying to figure out further. But I think this specific dynamic of sports betting and handicapping, that being the market, the analysis, and the uh, uh, I, you know, the watching of the market, you know, it's always been a staple and an undertone prevalent for sports bettors, I think. But I think it's going to be a more commonality uh, for all of the people, from the most prime of degenerates all the way down to the beginners. I think that. Um, you know, market research and understanding that I think other than like bankroll management and stuff, I think you're going to start probably seeing that pop up as far as like a um, component of like crash course, maybe sports betting, sports handicap stuff to come, you know, just with the modernization of the world right now. And then just, you know, where sports betting is with, you know, local shops opening up everywhere for all these people. Colorado just went live. Uh, Chicago is trying to put, you know, the betting in stadiums and uh, just around me, you know, we got Illinois, Iowa's got books up. So, I mean, I think you're going to see that people are going to need to understand uh, that they know that they not only need to research the card, but the market. And I think that's going to be 
I think a component for sports betting and learning how to handicap here um, more publicly, I think, in the future. And, and also, too, I mean, you know, you hit the Las Vegas market, and obviously Reno is kind of a market unto itself. It's very California-centric and, and whatnot. But you had the Las Vegas market, and then you had the global market. And the global markets didn't really have to deviate a whole lot from each other because, you know, it was almost kind of one common belief. There's a lot of copycatting that goes on in the global market, as we know. There were some, some deviations, some variations, depending on risk tolerance or you know, groups that were playing at places with bigger limits, stuff like that. But now with, I think it's going to be, what, 23 states by the end of the year? And, in fact, Louisiana, uh, just now their state senate has passed the sports gambling bill. I think it goes over to the House now. You know, you can't have the same line in Massachusetts when they get going on the Patriots that you can have in, you know, in, uh, let's say, what, Indiana, Iowa, West Virginia, you know, Tennessee. Tennessee is going to be all online. You can't have the same line on the Titans in Tennessee that you have on the Titans in Michigan, mm-hmm. you know, because it's just from a balancing of your sheet standpoint. And I mean, guess that all kind of depends on, you know, how these corporations set things up. Is it going to be every, like for Caesars, for example, does everything funnel through Caesars in Las Vegas? Mm. They balance the sheet as a whole nationally, as opposed to balancing the sheet on a state by state level. Same thing with a place like DraftKings. You know, what do they do in terms of balancing their sheets? Do they shade a number in one state, not shade a number in another state? Well, then you run into, is that an ethical dilemma? You know, the, the state-by-state thing, that really interests me. And, and Bang the Book is, is an offshore-facing site, so we are looking more at the global market as a whole. But I think as you, know, as you continue to see this expansion of gambling, it's going to be really interesting to see how things go state to state to state. Um, you know, obviously you're going to have people that are going to have runners in different states that can mm-hmm. bet into, you know, both sides of a line and, and stuff like that. It's, it's going to be really fast. This is, I mean, literally when people say tip of the iceberg, that's what we've yeah. got right now in the U.S. with sports betting. And I think that iceberg runs really, really deep under the surface too. Yeah. Well, I think that tip of the iceberg is going to be what we know as, you know, Vegas, you know, that's the market that we're familiar with and all the iceberg underneath the water. I think that's the market to come. You know, that's the market that America is going to have because, um, like you said, by the end of the year, more than half the States. Um, and I think by the end of next year, we'll probably have the other half pretty close. So I think, you know, within the next year and a half, uh, almost all of America is going to be understanding what it's like to be a little bit of a degenerate. So now, um, Adam, you talked about early on how you've always liked writing and how it's always been important and uh, prevalent to you. So when did you sport uh, uh, first get your first sports uh, writing break into the industry? You know, what, what was the, that moment where you're like, all right, I'll probably be doing this for a living now. Well, you know, I, I was still in college, and I started writing for a Cleveland sports blog called The Cleveland Fan. And uh, this was around the time that the Indians were putting together their own cable network called Sports Time Ohio. Uh-huh. And we actually became the con- one of the content providers uh, for Sports Time Ohio. So, you know, that was about the point in time that I started really getting into sabermetrics. And I kind of took it upon myself, and maybe this was arrogant of, you know, 21, 22-year-old me. I kind of took it upon myself to sort of, 
convey what sabermetrics were to the people that were on the message board, the readers, the people that were reading through the Cleveland or, uh, through Sports Time Ohio, stuff like that, because it's how the Indians front office operated. And, and I would always see people, you know, criticizing decisions that they were making, stuff like that. And I'm like, look, there's a method to this madness. There is a reason why they are doing this. So that was kind of my start into, you know, largely proving sports-related arguments and, you know, just sports-related content in general. And then I would say 2010, uh, with that Beyond the Bets forum, started doing a podcast, started doing some writing for them. Uh, they've since become the betting talk, uh, you know, offshoot of Right Angle Sports. But, you know, I was doing the shows, doing the podcast, actually, with Matt Lindemann, who I referenced earlier. Mm-hmm. And he decided, you know what, I'm going to move to Vegas. I'm going to get in the industry. I'm going to be on the other side of the counter, at which point he couldn't do the podcast anymore, which, right. you know, for obvious reasons. Right. So uh, we were shutting down the podcast, and then the owner of Bang the Book actually emailed me out of the blue and said, hey, you know, I listened to your show. I'm very impressed with what you were doing. You want to come and do something like that for me? And That's ever awesome. since then, you know, just a, a cold email from Bang the Book, you know, I think we've carved out a, a really nice niche here. I, I realize that we're a smaller fish in a very, very big pond, but we're a respected fish. Yeah, and we've yeah. got a lot of, you know, we've got a very loyal listener base, a loyal readership base. And I'm proud of that, you know, especially because so much of this industry has grown over the, you know, seven years I've been with them that you've got mainstream media coverage now of sports betting and people will still come to us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's, I think it's been a a really good spot for me. And, you know, we were one of the first to do a daily podcast format. And in fact, I was even doing two hours a day at one point, um, you know, getting four guests on for a half hour a day, pretty much. And, you know, it's um, you really, you really have to love something to make it not just your nine to five. And, and believe me, I work more than nine to five. Right. Not just your nine to five, but also a nighttime activity of you know having bets live, sweating games, yep. watching games to get observations, stuff like that. Gaining so, data. I've been very fortunate. I, I really have, and you know, it's been something I've I've been doing now in terms of sports writing for about fifteen years, and uh, I don't know if it uh, I don't know if it ever really stops. To be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to probably have to say, I agree with you, you know, from the little bit of that I've been doing. Um, and I know you do a whole hell of a lot more than I do. Uh, but man, I could imagine, I, I, I'm not sure where you even found the time to be able to sit down with me for this, but, um, that's so cool to hear that background. Um, what, what year was that, that bang the book reached out to you and please do remind, uh, the, the owner of bang the book's name. Um, it's slipping my mind right now. Well, yeah, I mean, my, my boss, Ryan, reached out to me. I want to say, like I said, I think it was about 2013. Maybe it was late 2012. I, all the years run together at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it was – I started out – it was mostly the podcast. And then it, it sort of became something where, you know, I would do more and more writing with each passing week. And then it would be, you know, kind of looking more, editing some of our other contributors' stuff. And, you know, just it really – quite frankly, I, mean, I, I worked my way up. To, yeah. to effectively being second in command there. And, you know, it's, um, it's something that's been, it's been nice to be able to work really closely, you know, with the person that you call your boss. Not everybody has the opportunity to do that. And again, I think it just kind of speaks to sort of that, you know, community type of, of feel here in the sports betting world in the sense that everybody kind of knows everybody, or at least everyone's aware of everybody. And, you know, it's, it's, for the longest time, it was a pretty insulated, almost niche market 
And now that it's becoming mainstream, it's, it's a little bit different, but yeah, I mean, it's been, uh, I would say it's probably been, probably been about seven, eight years ago now, uh, you know, about springtime. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that for you. Um, you know, <laughs> being the book's been one of my bookmarked websites for a couple years at least now. So it's, um, I love it. I, I appreciate the content that you guys do and, um, it's real user-friendly and hoop ballers. If you've not ever been to bangthebook.com, you are doing yourself a disservice. Um, again, I am with Adam Burt, lead writer of bangthebook.com. He is joining us today. This is, uh, again, today in sports betting hoop ball presentation. And, uh, you'll find Adam on Twitter at skating tripod. You'll find myself at D-A-L-E-007. And then you can find this here, Mothership uh, Hootball Gaming, at Hootball Gaming. So, Adam, want to transition to a little bit of the KBO here real quick. We've got some new series um, that started last night. I know we've talked a little bit off camera about it as far as our thoughts. And um, I, I was curious, did your original love of baseball, like you, you've talked a little bit about it so far on the show now, you know, we, I think, uh, you and I can agree that we both love baseball. Um, it's just kind of in our blood being where you're from. Um, so I'm curious as to, did your original love of baseball help you in the viewership and programming yourself for the intake of the KBO or was, was it an easy transition for you just because it is baseball? Or is this something that you told yourself, okay, this is the sports that we have. I have to do this. Was it a have to, or was it like a, you know, this is baseball. I think it was probably a little bit of both, you know, I mean, it was, it was one of those things where, well, I mean, obviously with the lockdown, everybody's traffic's down a little bit. And, you know, I was kind of looking at that and thinking, okay, I, I've got to come up with something that, you know, can, can maybe set us apart from other people. And, and I do feel like I am kind of at the you know, beginning stages of jumping into the KBO and, and a lot of people have kind of followed suit now, but, you know, there's only so many people that want to bet horse racing. There's only so many people that are going to bet UFC. And, and really, for the longest time, we, didn't, we had, you know, virtually nothing except for horse racing going on. So it was a pretty easy transition. I mean, you know, I'm, again, like I said, I've got that, you know, history major background. So I'm pretty good at, at sort of picking up cues and kind of running with them. So my biggest concern going into the KBO was how much can I actually find about this? Right. You know, I mean, I... I've watched clips. I've watched the bat flips. I've, you know, certainly paid attention to the players that have come over from the KBO to the major leagues. But, you know, what about this league itself? Because yeah. there were a lot of things that I didn't know about the KBO going into it. I didn't know that high schoolers made the jump right from senior year to playing in the KBO. I didn't know that, you know, that the ball had been dejuiced last year and that home runs were you know, dramatically decreased, I think, by about 40%. Uh, the fact that games went from about 11 runs per game to 9.1 runs per game. Those were all things I kind of had to pick up on. And then as I'm looking at the individual player statistics, specifically on the pitcher side, I start formulating a plan. I start thinking to myself, okay, which stats really matter here? Because for Major League Baseball, it's almost exclusively sabermetrics for me. Mm -hmm. For the KBO, not a whole lot of sources out there for sabermetrics. There are a few sites that do track them. Obviously, I can't read Korean, so I'm relying on Google Translate to help me out with that. Yeah. But just sort of trying to figure out what I can isolate to maybe get some kind of an edge in this league. 
And to this point, it's, it's been, you know, pretty 50-50 kind of treading water right now while we're all kind of going through the process of figuring everything out. Uh, the bullpens are abhorrent in this league, which is, you know, very different from the major leagues. But it was an easy transition because, you know, I love baseball. I've, I've always been on the statistical analysis side of baseball. And at its core, I mean, the, you know, this is baseball. It's just that you have to adapt to the data that you're being given and, you know, sort of make your inferences and your judgments from there. And, you know, I've been uh, – it's been pretty – pretty well received overall which I'm kind of surprised about but you know it's a betting market and, and if you can yeah. find an edge and if there's a chance to make money there people are going to be interested in it and uh, hopefully that's what happens here with the KBO going forward I've for sure enjoyed it you know so far it's um it's different right it's different it, very you know yeah. you, you get you know you know this you mentioned that you're doing writing you know you're doing this show it can get monotonous you know by the time that football season's about over as much as I love football, as much as I love college football, I'm kind of ready for it to end, yeah. you know? And that was something I kind of thought about early on with the KBO is that for Major League Baseball, I had just finished my MLB guide. I was in Vegas for a week in February promoting it on different radio shows, did an hour in studio with V-CIN. Oh, I awesome. did some stuff with Wager Talk, things of that sort. Like, I was so jacked up for baseball to start. And it was the same way last year, but I went to Vegas to promote the guide I'm flying home on opening day. I'm burned out on baseball by the time the season even started last <laughs> yeah. year for the major leagues. Yeah. But this year, I get to do the KBO. It's something different. It's something that you have to be more engaged with. You know, you don't take anything for granted because you don't really know anything. Yeah. And that, that really helped me kind of get focused on the KBO. And, and quite frankly, I kind of enjoyed it more than I've enjoyed the prep work for you know, really <laughs> any of the, the major North American sports that we handicap day in and day out. Yeah, I was having some fun with some spreadsheets uh, the first week of the season. You know, I was just trying to track some numbers. Like you said, finding those key statistics that are going to help finding a decent betting market. Um, so, you know, it's just a matter of uh, trying to find that bank of information as well as um, your own personal eye uh, tests and watching some of these teams. Um it's I, I've still been trying to figure the viewership tactic out. Do I power through the whole evening and just, you know, stay up as best as I can and watch the first six innings? Or do I, do I tail off for a little bit, take a, you know, fall asleep at, you know, like, like 10, 11, midnight, set an alarm for, you know, 3.30 in the morning to check lineups, maybe doze off a little bit for another hour, wake back up, watch the game. I'm still trying to figure that out. I haven't really mastered it. So uh, I've been fa fading in about the sixth and seventh inning uh, the last couple games. So I mean, I need to reconfigure my viewing uh, st strategy. Judging by the bullpens, it's probably the right time to fall asleep, truthfully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless I want to see all the KBO-ness, all, uh, all the 10 run innings and the crazy bat flips and offensive numbers and uh, – there's some really cool stuff that this league offers. I know that Hideki Matsui and Ichiro Suzuki are both Japanese-born players, but uh, those guys were pretty prevalent for me growing up as a youth, you know, and that always um, helped me appreciate and understand the Korean and, you know, just Asian culture in the game. And so when this league was able to have the platform it has now in America because of the time that we're in, 
Um, you know, I've always liked that defensive hitting, the, you know, staying alive, the fundamentals on the uh, infield, just the way that they play the game that the professionals in, the, uh, in America don't because they are a lot more talented and raw and they don't really have to do all those other little things as hard as or as well as the uh, Korean and Japanese players do. But I just love their mindset. I love their philosophies, the way they hit, the defensive side of the ball. Um, so yeah, this is, um, I'm excited to see how it comes, uh, to be and if this is something that after this, uh, is going to have a little bit of a market in America. Uh, maybe it carved out a little, um, you know, if you will, cult following, um, for America. So I agree with you. And you know, something else too, you think back to like the world baseball classic, for example, and you know, I know there was supposed to be one next year. I think it's already been canceled or, you know, it's certainly going to be, but when you watch the emotion that these different countries and their players play with, I mean, even, even the major league guys from the Dominican or Puerto Rico or whatever else, I mean, they just, they get neutered in major league baseball because they're afraid of getting thrown at, or they don't want to disrespect the game or, or whatever else. I mean, look, I, I don't know, maybe it's my old age, maybe I'm getting emotional, but Francisco Lindor hitting that home run in Puerto Rico, like, yeah. you know, it's, just, it's a regular season game. But, I mean, that moment and, and that crowd, I'm actually getting chills sitting yeah. here talking yeah. about it. Yeah. I mean, those moments are just in such short supply in Major League Baseball. And it's one thing that I don't like is that if any sport needs to brand its players, it's that one. And yeah. when you see the, the emotion – you know, I mean, when you see the bat flips, I mean, dude flips his bat, picks it up rounding third to take it back to the dugout after a home run. <laughs> I mean, in Major League Baseball, your entire team would get thrown at. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just make the game fun. And that's what the KBO is. It, it's fun. It's business for those guys. They're obviously getting paid to play. But you can tell that, I mean, they have fun. They show their emotions. They, they, they do all the same things that, you know, all of us wish we could do as athletes. If I could hit a ball 500 feet, I bad flip the hell out of every one of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's a, it's a different kind of game. It's a different speed. And is the gameplay as good? No, not at all. It, I wouldn't expect it to be. But it's it's the emotion that I would love to see from Major League Baseball, and that's a refreshing change of pace. Because look, as a gambler, you're naturally pessimistic. I mean, all of us are. It's you know, I wake up in the morning and check KBO scores, and my first thought is, how did I lose? How did my game lose? Which bullpen melted down yeah. to cause me to lose a bet? You know, it, it's, I don't know, it was, a, it was a breath of fresh air to do something with the KBO and, and to be able to follow it. Um, you know, because, again, you, you can become very immune to a lot of things in sports if that's what you do on a daily basis. And yeah. not to get too long-winded here, but people always say that to me all the time of, oh, you get to cover sports for a living. Yeah, but I also can't come home from work <laughs> crack a beer, watch a game, and not give a damn about anything. You, you're you know, invested in some aspect of it in some way. Right. Yeah. It, it changes the way that you view the game. And to some level, it, it does take some of the fun and some of the emotion out of it. And seeing it in the KBO, even with action on it, I don't know, it, it almost has a, a childlike sense to it that, you know, I've, I've kind of missed for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, funny that you – brought that up uh, I real quick though I want to backtrack slightly because you were talking about um you know the the fact of enjoying this and um you know trying to figure out 
you know, how to not be so such a pessimistic like all of us are as betters. But I, I, I wake up and do the same thing, especially uh, if I know, let's see, if I, if I had a bet or two placed in the Doosan game <laughs> or something, you know, it's just like, oh, uh, they score a ton of runs, but, you know, like, did they give up 13 in the eighth again? Um, so with that being said, I think I've found myself transitioning a little bit more into, uh, I'll do some first five innings a lot more from what I've uh, been seeing, especially involving Doosan. Because they have decent starting pitching. Um, they just, they, once that starter goes out, they uh, watch out, watch out. They're going to probably allow a 10 spot. Um, so with that being said, I wanted to ask you, you know, we've talked about the bullpens, you know, what you don't like about the KBO so far, but, and you've talked a little bit about what you do like as far as the lightheartedness, making it fun, the culture, just, you know, the league in itself. What do you think you would say, you know, if you had to pick one thing or two, I'll, I'll let you pick two. Uh, what parts of the KBO, like, would you say that you enjoy the most? Is it that fun aspect, the bat flips, the, what is it? I think the thing, the one thing that I enjoy the most is I enjoy handicapping the domestic starting pitchers, the, yes. the South Korean born guys, because look, I mean, history has told us, and I mean, this has been proven in the KBO that guys that were triple A level players in the major leagues can go over to the KBO and basically be superstars. I mean, they're going to be the two or three best players on the team. And what, where I found an edge and where I think I've found you know, some pretty good opportunity in the KBO is handicapping these domestic starting pitchers, finding the guys that you know, are in the right age range to break out. And I've kind of found that for the high school guys, about 21, 22 mm-hmm. is where they kind of figure out their crafts. So when they're 22, 23 years old and I'm seeing improvement, I don't think the market necessarily accounts for that because the odds makers, even though there's not much going on, they're not deep diving into the KBO the way that people that are betting on it are. And that's true of any sport. They, they don't have the time to deep dive. They're worried about managing risk, balancing the books, all that kind of thing. So I've really enjoyed that. I've really enjoyed being able to look at a guy like Ku Chang Mo, who I think is going to be in the major leagues in very short order. He's 23 years old, already having that breakout season here. He's going to be in the, Cape Fear in the major leagues very, very quickly. You've got some of the other guys that are out there that, you know, maybe went the college route and their first seasons weren't very good. And people are going to look and say, well, this guy's 24 and his KBO body of work so far isn't any good. I'm going to fade him or I'm going to bet the over here. And that's a pitcher that, you know, just took more time to develop. A guy that came out of college at 23, 24, where other guys are coming out of high school at 18, 19. And that's something I've really enjoyed getting to know the personnel that I didn't previously know. And then another part of it is, you know, just sort of looking at the lineups and looking at the domestic hitters that have been really, really good. The guys that haven't come over, you know, like a Hunsu Kim or Byung Ho Park, the guys that haven't come over to the major leagues, but have carved out incredible careers over in Korea, almost kind of the, you know, Crash Davis type thing to, to reference Bull Durham, yeah, where yeah. these guys are exceptional for their talent levels. They just weren't going to be able to come over to the major leagues and hack it. And, you know, you get some good opportunities playing on underrated offenses. I think that's kind of what I'm, what I'm trying to focus on here is everyone knows that scoring is up at this point in time. So 
the lines are adjusting on starting pitchers. The totals are adjusting up. I think getting more of a handle on the domestic players, the South Korean-born guys, is something I'm trying to work on as I get more sample size of the current run environment. And that, that's been my favorite part so far is learning about some of these guys and then, you know, in three, four years when, when Ku Chang Mo is, you know, somebody's number three starter in the major leagues, it's almost like I love music. I'm a huge yeah. music fan. I like a lot of independent country artists. Um, you know, I go to a lot of shows where I may be one of 15 or 20 people there. <laughs> I want that moment where I've seen somebody in a small venue and then all of a sudden they're headlining big arenas right. in 10 years. Right. And I can say, oh, yeah, I saw that guy yeah. you know, back before anybody knew him. Uh-huh. I kind of want that with the KBO, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you do have a good eye for it. Um, I'm sure you're aware of that. Um, the, um, the point you made about the age range, uh, I really, really liked when you uh, initially talked about that point on one of your uh, podcasts uh, with, uh, within the last couple days, I think it was a couple days ago that you were talking about that. And that was a really decent piece of information, just an angle that I had never really given any consideration to. I knew that those kids are coming out of high school a lot, but I didn't understand the uh, threshold of that age 21, 22 season. Like I didn't see that, uh, you know, that click or that turnover um, that you were referencing to. So, you know, I, I appreciate you pointing that out for me. One of the other things that I've really enjoyed is getting to know the 19, 20 year old veterans that have been on the same teams. Um, I want to say the Kia Tigers has, uh, they've got this, uh, it's, I can't remember his name, so I apologize, but, uh, he's a left-handed batter, a little bit of a bigger guy. And, um, he's been with them his whole career, about 17 years now. And then, um, I want to say the KT Wiz also have a, a guy uh, been with him 19, 20 years now. It, I, you've probably seen him, but he just he looks like a dad. He wears the uh, basic bifoc, just he, like his 80s readers. Like they're not the cool athletic classes. He just he gets up to the plate and he's got these thin framed uh, large lens uh, 1980s uh, dad glasses and he's had a 20 career year career in the KBO and he's a really good hitter. I can't remember his name. I wish I did, but uh, he's talked about every broadcast I watched and uh, uh, he's just kind of like, he's, it's like, he's the dad of the KBO is what I'm, I'm hearing. Uh, kind of like what Poppy became in the later end of his career. You know, he's just kind of this presence for the league uh, kind of like an elderly fatherly uh, kind of thing. So it's been cool uh, learning culturally and historically, you know, about the teams, what franchises started when, what's, who's newer, and what's your take on the uh, – I think you prefaced it, but what's your take on the ball uh, probably being juiced this year that they didn't tell the players and stuff? Yeah, it, it certainly seems like it's rejuiced again. And, you know, realistically speaking, I mean – they had, I'm sure they were already putting together the baseballs long before they realized that, you know, Major League Baseball wasn't going to be around. Yeah. It may work out really well for them because yeah. <laughs> now all of a sudden you're going to have these big high scoring games, these home runs, all these bat flips that are going to go viral on social media and all that it may actually work out really well for them. I think it's one of those things where, you know, you've got, uh, you've got a league that needs to be predicated on hitting. 
I think yeah. watching one nothing games is, is kind of difficult and it would have a very centralized appeal. I think if you want to be a league that's recognized, you know, globally, or at least, you know, throughout all of Asia, knowing that you've got to go up against, you know, Taiwan and Japan and some of the other nations that are over there, you know, maybe you need a juiced baseball. And what really drove the point home for me, you can see it statistically, obviously home runs are way up, but I saw from, I think it was Daniel Kim on Twitter, who actually had quotes from the players and said, this is different. The ball you know, is we, different. Last yeah. year, we couldn't even hit a home run in batting practice. Right. Now everything's leaving the ballpark. Yeah. The players know. The players will tell you. Even, yeah. even pitchers, you know, with the change to the Major League Baseball, it just it feels different to them. You know, I mean, it's just like anything else with repetition. You know when something's off a little bit. I know when my keyboard is off a little bit, you know, just <laughs> from, from the volume of writing I'll do during college football season or something. Right. You know, you just know those things. You just pick up on those things. Hitters know, pitchers know. It seems to be pretty definitive. We've seen the adjustments in the totals market already. We're starting to see some 11 totals pop up out there. I think we may even start to go higher than that in some of the games with two domestic starting pitchers. And, you know, I don't know if, if there will be any changes throughout the course of the season for the ball. I think kind of what you see is what you get. And right now what we get is a baseball that appears to be rejuiced. And, you know, I've, I've had to kind of account for that too because – you, you start looking at these pitchers and you start trying to look at maybe a three- or five-year sample, especially, as you mentioned, guys that have played in this league for 15 years, there's some variance in their numbers. Well, last year, pitchers were giving up fewer home runs. Their ERAs were lower. You know, they were doing a lot better in terms of run prevention. So you've got to go back to 2017 and 2018 because that looks like the environment that we're in now. Mm. It's hard to throw out last year's sample size of data but we may get to that point as we continue seeing how the baseball plays. That's a really good point to make. The ultimate watch his 2018, not his 2019 film uh, saying <laughs> from right. the scouting uh, viewership there. Well, uh, Adam, you know, again, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Um, you know, we've been talking to KBO here for the last few minutes now. I wanted to transition and see if um, – you know, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. Um, wanted to see if, uh, you know, there was something coming up here soon that you were excited for, maybe something that you're doing some digging or research on. Um, you know, maybe uh, you want to pull the curtain back a little bit and let us know if you've got anything fun and exciting going on for being the book coming up. I mean, you know, uh, tease us a little bit here, Adam. Yeah, there's a, you know, we're, we're starting to get – I guess back to some level of normal, normal I would yeah. say, you know, um, I've been doing horse racing previews over at bangthebook.com. I've really enjoyed that. You know, again, just something that kind of deviates from the norm. I like horse racing. I've always been a fan. We got a track here in the Cleveland area called Thistledown, mm -hmm. 75, 80 degrees on a Saturday. I'll, you know, I'll rip through three, four, five cores like pints, watch racing for four or five hours and, you know, head on home. I've really enjoyed doing that. I got a preview up of a horse race for Friday. I know this won't be up in time, but, uh, you know, I've been previewing some of the big weekend stakes races, the Kentucky Derby prep races. That oh, right. calendar has been shifted around. Uh, the Santa Anita Derby's coming up um, June, I don't know, whatever the second Saturday in June is. Mm -hmm. I'll preview up for that. Uh, I did a preview for the TaylorMade Driving Relief uh, Golf event this weekend. You got Rory and DJ against Matthew Wolf and Ricky Fowler. Yeah. I think there's some good betting opportunities with that. Um, you know, just – 
trying to cover some different things from what I usually cover. I mean, I usually cover golf over there, but never really done the skins game format or anything like that. Just, it's not even just a matter of trying to keep busy. It's, it's the opportunity to handicap some markets that I typically don't dive into all that much. And I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to the horse racing calendar over the summer. And um, man, am I hoping the fall looks like it's supposed to. All the golf majors, yeah. you know, college football comes back, NFL, Triple Crown, we're Major not going to know whatever's left of that season. The fall's going to be insane. And we're not going to know really, what to watch. Really hoping we get everything that we're currently being promised. That's going to be one of the most conflicting, bittersweet uh, times for a sports fan if that ends up happening. Because you're just going to have to. I mean, there's times during a regular college basketball season, I'm torn between if I want to watch this game or that game of you know small schools or whatever. Uh, so I could imagine if there's like multiple major events going on, you know, if, if the NBA comes back when it's gonna, you know, you'll, you'll still have the tail end of the playoffs, you know, or early parts of the season, depending on what type or what kind or part of the fall we're talking about here. Um, the overlapping that you mentioned is just going to be, you know, there's potential that we have the world series going on at the same time of other sporting uh, playoffs and uh, other big events and races and turn. So it's uh, the rest of the year is just going to be a little bit weird. And I think that we probably just need to embrace it as best as we can and hope for the most content as possible. And, you know, so far looking forward the foreseeable future, it's, uh, it's pretty optimistic looking. Seems that way. And, you know, I know that uh, – I know you like the NBA quite a bit. Um, I'm really curious to see if the NBA officially makes that change and starts the season in December, if this can be, you know, kind of a guinea pig type season for that. You know, avoiding football, what that means for us gamblers is, is pretty interesting. You know, yeah. you're going to have paralysis by overanalysis of every weekend of, you know, college football and NFL if you're not distracted by something else during the week. But – that makes sense for the NBA. You don't only go up against baseball for, you know, April, May, June, and, and the NHL, I guess. But, yeah. you know, for April, May, June, all of a sudden you're playing your finals right before football season. This, as awful as all of this is, and believe me, it you know certainly is, the chances for the leagues to kind of experiment a little bit here with some changes to their timelines, changes to their schedules, um, you know, changes to roster size, stuff like that, over the long term, I mean, this could benefit several sports leagues. And, you know, obviously it's, it's trying to draw a silver lining from something that's just absolutely terrible. But that is something that I'm kind of interested in watching because, you know, it, it could make my life easier from a writing standpoint for a while or it could make it hard. You know, I, yeah. I don't know. But I think that a lot of these leagues have been status quo for too long and maybe trying something different uh, could make a lot of sense for them. This is definitely a chance at modernization for a lot of these, um, you know, especially the MLB um, being as old as it is. Um, for me, I, I am a purist with the game. There's a lot of baseball stuff I want to remain true. But, I mean, let's be honest. 1890s was a long time ago. <laughs> yep. So there, there, there are some little logistical, new age, just everyday Americano business, just – logistics that you know there are some minor tweaks that some of these leagues could probably afford to uh go ahead and implement well adam i know you're a busy busy man 
this is going to be the part of the show where I'm just going to go ahead and wrap stuff up here. Um, you know, say thank you again. I'm going to remind folks again where they can find you um, at skating tripod on Twitter at bangthebook.com. Uh, do you put any other content out on any other platforms? No, just bang the book bang the for book. now. We got yeah. uh, my KBO betting podcast, the betters box every betters Monday and box. Thursday. Yeah. And then yeah. on Tuesdays I chat with Brian blessing who um, ironically enough, I watched when I was in high school when he was ah. doing uh, Buffalo Sabres mm-hmm. pre and post game stuff. So that's pretty cool for me every Tuesday to chat with him. And we just kind of riff about whatever's going on in the sports world, different sports events, stuff like that. And then once football comes back around and, and hopefully it does, we'll be back to uh, five days a week with the podcast. So, Looking forward to that. Looking forward to, you know, navigating whatever we get here out of the summer, but hoping that the fall, as we just talked about, uh, is kind of back to normal a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. Well, nonetheless, I'm excited for what content you're putting out for Bang the Book. I know you guys do some great stuff. And again, Hootballers, if you are not, you've got to follow Adam at Skating Tripod on Twitter. You've got to check Bang the Book out. They don't charge for picks. It's just such a good home feeling website. I remember there were so many times when I was starting off and I needed like a good, you know, just a piece of information, just a, just a little nugget or a stat of something to help me feel better about a bet or a DFS angle. And bam, it, it was right there on bang the book. It was like, it was what I needed. So um, check them out guys. It, it's, it's some second to none work. It, um, Adam, I can't thank you again uh, enough. And um you know, with this being said, uh, it's an interworked community, you know, all, like you said, um, a little bit of full circleness, you know, you're doing that Buffalo Sabres, uh, hang out, uh, on Tuesdays for the hockey stuff with the guy that, you know, you watch for a long time now. So it's, this industry is pretty, uh, intertwined and I'm, I'm just happy to start, uh, becoming a part of it as well. So, and I thank you for, uh, helping me be a part of that and being uh, cordial enough to come on to today in sports betting. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's been an honor to be here. And, you know, I, I love hearing stuff like that. You know, I, I love when I get emails, people reach out and say, you know, I've listened to you for a long time. You've helped me with this. You helped me with that. And I mean, that's, that's why I do it because, you know, a long time ago, way back when somebody was there to help me figure it all out. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I can do that for somebody else. And, and I appreciate the kind words, Devin, and I appreciate the support, you know, reading the stuff and, and listening to the show too. Cause I mean, Without the listeners and the readers, I wouldn't have anything to do. So I'm very thankful to each and every one that's out there and, and you especially here for having me on your show. Absolutely, Adam. Well, hey, hopefully uh, this is something we can do a uh, little bit down the road. I'd love to uh, maybe pick your brain, especially if we get some normalcy back for uh, football. I think that'd be pretty fun. Absolutely. And then maybe some uh, American baseball. Maybe we can talk some MLB down the road. Uh, I've got the Indians as one of my uh, – dark horse teams this year so maybe we can uh maybe talk a little bit about that sounds so. good to me adam with that i bid you adieu hoop ballers i bid you adieu i hope everyone has a great weekend again this is devin ellington at d-a-e-l-e-007 on twitter and then this is a hoop ball presentation hoop-ball.com check it out we got hoop ball clippers hoop ball lakers hoop ball pelicans hoop ball uh Grizzlies, you know, if if there's a basketball team out there you need some information on, it's probably going to be within the Hootball family. Adam, one last thank you. A huge, huge shout out to you. 
um and to the listeners today was great it was a wonderful friday i can't thank you enough i hope to hear from you soon bud absolutely man Be, be glad to be back anytime all right thank you adam you have a great weekend boss you too This has been a Hoop Ball presentation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.